Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Mighty God, each of us are timid and nervous. We fly into doubt when we realize that you have called us to place your, we- your word in the ears of those around us. God, give each of us the repentant minds and hearts of Jonah that we saw in chapter 2 so that the opposition laid against us by Satan and the seeds of pride and tribalism that we all carry will not be what we rely upon. Lord, strengthen us by a reliance on Your power and protection through the Holy Spirit. As we are met with the struggle and the joy of our daily callings, our vocations that You've placed on us. God, give us repentance. The repentance that we need every day so that we can have full assurance of forever spent with You. And Christ your only begotten Son, who is our strength and our salvation. May your Spirit hurry us along and strengthen us in all that we do, that we may obey you and that your name would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is our final week in Jonah Lost at Sea. And throughout the course of this sermon series, there have been three things that we have been expecting, three ways that we were expecting that God would change us. Now, that's a pretty bold statement to make, actually, that we're coming to the Word and we would expect to change right here, right now. And yet, that is what the Word of God does. It changes us. It makes us new in Christ. It puts us out of a kingdom of darkness and into His kingdom of light. It puts our sins to death and it raises us back up into newness of life with Christ. And yet, as we looked at last week, that old man, that sinful man, is still us still clinging on for dear life. And so, when we come to the Word, we should expect to be changed. And one of the ways that it's true, in a four-week series, we're not going to eradicate these things. These things are always going to be there. But like Jonah showed us a good way of repenting from those sins, so should we do. One of those things is a pride that we carry with us, a spiritual pride. It says we deserve what God has given us and our neighbor doesn't. Instead, it should lead us to compassion, to share the good news with those around us. And lastly, we should be wanting to know more and better this good and gracious God who bends all of creation for our salvation. This week, to say that a little differently... We've had one big idea for this whole little book. And this week, we're going to have two big ideas. 
Uh, that breaks all my rules. I'm feeling uncomfortable about it, but that's okay. We're going to keep moving on. And here's our first big idea of the day. This is where we start, but it's not going to be where we end. Our God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And the truth is, you hate him for it. Or at least, you hate him for it until he turns you from your spiritual pride. And then he teaches you to show and to share the same compassion and forgiveness that you have been granted, that you have been gifted by him. And until he shows you all the ways that each and every day he bends all of creation for your salvation. The very first time that you heard the word and the Spirit of God took your heart and transformed it, made it alive, brought it back from death, and each and every time that you hear the word and are called to repent of your sin and to turn to Christ as your only hope in this world. That's a bold statement, though, too. To say that God is all these glorious things that we can say, we can confess these true things about God and then say, and we hate Him for it. Are we really? Can I actually say that? That seems a little too bold. Well, if we were to look at the picture of Jonah here, it seems that that is very possible and, in fact, very true. But also in the book of Romans chapter 5, we read this, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been made right, justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And yet it's easy for us to hear that good news and then to turn around and say, I am so glad that I have deserved this good news. Yet as Paul also says in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive as a gift? And if you received it as a gift, why do you boast? Why do you carry such spiritual pride, right? As if you did not receive it as a gift. It's a reoccurring problem. It's going to be a problem throughout the rest of our Christian lives. For Jonah, someone that came from God's people, that received God's actual words to share with others, he carries with himself this spiritual pride. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, though, we want to go back to Jonah chapter 3 for just a minute. Because I skipped over some things last week that I think are really important for us to touch on. So let's go back to chapter 3. I'm going to read just a couple of verses from there. 
The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, what was the good news that Jonah was sharing? Forty days and you're going to be destroyed. God is going to take you out. And then he drops the microphone and he walks off stage. And he leaves Nineveh to deal with that news. Thinking, <laughs> who's that crazy guy? We've never heard of him before. Let's keep going about our business. But instead what happens, God takes their hearts he turns their hearts around toward himself and they say, he's right. Now, during this time, there were some other historical things going on that, may have, that God had put into place that may have helped the people of Nineveh turn. They were going through droughts and a little bit of an economic depression. They had conquered a bunch of people. No one left to conquer. No one else they could defeat anyway to take all of their goods. Um, there had been some sicknesses going around, so on and so forth. Everyone thought this is the judgment of God upon us and all of our evil ways, but we don't know how to act differently, so we're just going to keep going about it. And yet here comes a messenger from God with God's words on his lips, and they say, that's the news that we've been waiting on. This guilt that we feel, the shame that we feel, it's real, and we need to turn from it. And what does God do? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. A couple things to notice from here that I think are really important. The first of which is the word. This is the word from God through Jonah made its way to the king. This is an amazing and a beautiful thing. You know what this does, what this tells us? This one thing that we teach here at church, that God, the Holy Spirit, works through His Word to change people's hearts and minds and to turn them to Christ? It's a real thing. It happens. It happens. It happened to an evil king that ruled over a bunch of evil people. The Word itself came to the king of Nineveh. Not only that, but everyone turns, we saw. The king, maybe not all of them had this, uh, this drastic change of heart, but everyone knew what was coming upon them. And they turned nonetheless. They turned away from their sin. What does it say? It they turned away from the violence that was in their hands. Not only, not only was this some sort of only spiritual thing that happened. This was a social change that happened too. They turned away from sinning against one another. They turned away from sinning against their neighbors. They dropped the violence that was in their hand. 
where they were stealing from their neighbors, taking their neighbor's herd, taking their neighbor's flock, charging too much for rent, whatever the case may be. It was the violence that was in their hands and they dropped it. God stripped away the comfort that that violence offered them and gave them better news that He could save them. And then here's the other interesting thing. We've talked about it before, but throughout this book we see this word turn or relent. And these two words are actually the same word. So you could read it here as God repented. Now, that is a little bit risque, right? Because we think of repentance and we think of, oh, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry that I did this and I'm so sorry that I did that. But as we've talked about time and time again, repentance, turning away from something, isn't simply saying sorry. No, no, no. That's, that's an apology, right? Seeking forgiveness, that's a good thing. Repentance is turning away from your sin and yourself and turning to Christ. In this case, God turned around on what He said He would do to them. In fact, that's the reason why Jonah was supposed to preach the message, so that they would turn around. And that then God would say, I'm going to stay my hand. I'm not going to judge you in this way right now. And He did. He was faithful to His Word. He was faithful to what He promised to do. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We have two kinds of repentance going on there in 2 Corinthians. The first kind is the good, God-given kind of repentance that is placed before us each and every Sunday morning and each and every time that we open up God's Word. It's a repentance that we can turn away from our sin, that we can ask God the Holy Spirit for His help in guiding us along that path. We can take comfort in it, and it leads to salvation. It is salvation. Whereas, the city of Nineveh, maybe one generation after this, is going to be totally wiped out and destroyed. Why? I thought God had stayed His hand. His judgment wasn't there. Well, there was a lot of repentance going on, but as Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians, there's a couple different kinds of grief and a couple different kinds of repentance. And a worldly repentance, which is where you all of a sudden realize, oh man, I'm, I'm out of step with everyone else around me. All I need to do is correct my life so that I can be accepted by everyone else. Right? We see this happen in the world today. Quite a lot, actually. Famous people, rich people, in the news all the time. They make mistakes. And instead of throwing themselves at the feet of people and getting whatever it is that they deserve, they apologize and they apologize and they donate to this charity and they donate to that charity and they make themselves right with the world. Christian, how often do you and I do this? We don't seek forgiveness. We say sorry, and then we move on. And we're just hoping that everyone forgets about 
the trail of tears that we've left behind us. There's a good and godly repentance and there's a worldly repentance. What the people of Nineveh did here seems to be a good and godly, God-given repentance. And yet, in the future, that repentance doesn't seem to continue. Let's go on into Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Wait a second, what just happened? Jonah preached the word that God had given him, said, turn around or die. And they did it. And God forgave them. And Jonah is displeased exceedingly. Exceedingly displeased. Uh, It's causing him great discomfort that those dirty, filthy sinners would turn and that God would forgive them. How dare they and how dare he? And then Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? He said, I told you this was going to happen, God. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting, turning around from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) Here's Jonah. He's angry with God. For his forgiveness. One of the most offensive things in the whole world is the forgiveness that is offered to us by Christ. I'm not sure if you've ever heard a story like this, but oftentimes you'll read of stories where prisoners are in prison and it's for murder. Maybe it's for multiple murders. And they repent. And they become Christians. They get saved. They believe. And they reach out to the family members of the people that they murdered. And they ask for forgiveness as well. Oftentimes, this this doesn't really turn into much. I will say a couple years back uh, in the United States, there was a shooting at a church. It was a shooting at a church uh, that was a church that only black people went to. And the person that did the shooting was a white guy who hated black people. And he was in prison. Did everything to try to get out of harsh punishment. And you know what each of those family members did? They went to the prisoner in court and they said, we forgive you. Each of the family members that lost someone in in that shooting went to that man, that boy, and said, we forgive you. And everyone in the media in the United States was utterly offended by this. You can't forgive him. You know what he just did. You you can't do that. Forgiveness is offensive. And people hate God for it. Maybe for you and for me, we have that 
hiding somewhere inside of us. Maybe you've been sinned against in some deep way, physically, abused emotionally, whatever the case may be. And there's some forgiveness out there that you just can't quite offer. And if you found out that that person regretted everything that they did, turned away from all of those sinful and evil habits that destroyed people's lives, and turned to Christ and was forgiven, that it would anger you. I would probably be angry. Jonah is angry. About eight times here in the book of Jonah, we see these, this word evil, disaster, discomfort. It's all the same word, actually. And so, when Jonah here is, is saying um, that he's displeased exceedingly, uh, we could also translate this and we could say that he's accusing God of doing evil. God, by offering forgiveness, you have done evil, is what Jonah's saying. See, we, we stood together this morning and uh, we sang about our sin. We confessed that to God. We put it into His hands. And God said that sin was on the cross with Christ. Your sins are forgiven. We confess the Apostles' Creed together. We declare who God is. We declare what He has done in history for real, for you and for me. And yet, our confession sometimes can be very different than what our hearts are. And that is the case with Jonah. And here, we see silence from Jonah. God asks him a question. Do you do well to be angry with me? Jonah, are you right? Are you justified in being angry with me? And what does Jonah say? Nothing. He says nothing. He turns around and he goes and he builds a little stick hut that he doesn't even have anything to put on top as a roof to hide from the sun. Okay, for anyone here that's been a... a a parent of small children, or if you, once being a small child, I know it might be hard to imagine now at this point in life, okay? I, I, this happens to me all the time. The kids will do something wrong. And I remember doing this. I did something wrong, and then my mom or my dad will say, Wade, are you going to say sorry for that? Wade, what are you doing? Wade, hello? And I just treat it like it's a rhetorical question. A question I don't have to answer. Well, yeah, of course I know I did something wrong. I don't need to answer your question. Right? Kean is at a stage in life where that's all he does. Hey, Kean, can you come here? And he just turns away. He turns away. He doesn't answer. And this is what Jonah does. Uh, in fact, uh, well, I'll have another term for Jonah here in just a minute. But Jonah, like a small child, remains silent. God's asking something of him. And it's not like God speaking to Job when, jo when God says, were you there when I did this? Do you make the thunder crack in the sky? 
And, and, and Job's, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know what to say to you, God. This is actually something that Jonah can answer. Are you right in being angry with me? Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So here's Jonah. He's camping out on a hill outside the city waiting. He's, maybe he preached for a day. Maybe he preached for three days. Maybe he preached for 39 days. Doubtful. He's sitting out there and he's waiting out for 39 days to see what God's going to do. God, I'm calling on you now. Kill him. Get rid of them. <laughs> now the Lord God, oh, what's he doing? What's God doing? Appointed a plant. He appointed a fish earlier. What did that fish do? That fish swallowed Jonah up, not to hurt him, but to preserve him. That fish swallowed Jonah up so that Jonah could repent and turn away from his evil and his sin. When God appoints something into your life like this, He's doing it as an opportunity for you to turn away from those things that are not of Christ in your life. So that you can turn away from your selfishness and your sin. And now, He's giving Jonah one more opportunity. He says, Jonah, I know that you're out here on this hill pouting but I'm not going to let you sit out there and pout and dwell in your own sin and sorrow. I'm going to let you dwell in my grace instead. And so he grows a little parable, a little story for Jonah. Now Jonah's a prophet. He understands what parables, what stories are for. And so here's, here's what he does. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it cover up over Jonah, come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, oh, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. He's saying to God, God, I had this beautiful weed that grew up beside me, and it was giving me shade, and then somehow it died. I can only think that you're responsible for that. Not that God would be responsible for the plant. And now this time, God's going to ask the same question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, I, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I would call Jonah a big baby head here, okay? Because that's exactly what Jonah was being, right? Um, it's like a, ch a parent giving a good gift to a child. Child's in a bad mood and the child says, no, I don't want your good gift. The parent keeps extending the good gift. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Jonah, here's an opportunity for you to turn to me. Jonah, here's an opportunity for you to, to turn away from your sin and your hard heart, to allow my word to soften your heart. 
instead of being bitter and angry and mad all the time. But Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Jonah tried to die on the boat. He hoped he would die in the fish. He probably thought he was going to die when he preached news of judgment. He went out onto the hillside to probably die. God took away the plant. Now he wishes he was dead. Now he's so angry he could die. Seems like Jonah has a mission here, doesn't it? Toward the grave. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, think about this. This plant was sitting in front of you. It's valueless. It grew in one day and it died in one day. The course of its life is this big. Why do you care about the plant? Well, Why does Jonah care about the plant? Because the plant was helping him. Why does Jonah not want to share the good news with Nineveh? Because that's my good news. Why does Jonah not want to see people forgiven? Because I can't bear to think that I needed as much forgiveness as those sinners. This is where our spiritual pride bubbles up. God, surely I'm more important than that person. God, surely there's something inside of me that made you want to save me. That person has nothing valuable in them. And should I not pity Nineveh, God asked Jonah, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God says, is a plant really more important than a human to you? We see this all the time. Now, Muddy is a rescue dog, okay? He's from Hawes. I love Hawes. I love what they do. But people get in to their dogs, right? And people will feed their dogs the finest food. They will give their dogs the finest veterinary care. They will make sure that other dogs that don't have owners are cared for. They will make sure that um, when their dog is uncomfortable, that their dog has a nice cushy bed to sleep in. Well, that's good. In Proverbs, we're actually told that we should take care of our animals, okay? That's a good thing. And yet, how much more do we care about this beast that will live seven years than we do for our neighbor who has none of that down the road from us? God is saying to Jonah, don't you think I care more about these people that can turn around and come to me for salvation? And I care about this thing right here. Its life is this long. And the book ends with that question then. Don't you think that I should care more about all those people and even about their cattle? God says. Even the cattle, remember, they're, they're wearing the uncomfortable clothing. They're not allowed to eat. Even the cattle are turning to God.
Why do we have that detail? This is the second time that detail's in there. Why do we have that detail in this book? We have that detail in this book because everyone in the book is doing exactly what God has called them to do. The fishermen, they're just out, or the the sailors, they're just out sailing. They're doing their job, transporting goods from one city to another. And then God calls them to repentance through, through the storm being quieted. And what do they do? They repent and they believe. God says, fish, I need you to go over there and save this human. Fish says, yes, sir. (laughs) Jonah gets the word a second time. He goes, he reluctantly does his job, and the people of Nineveh do what they are called to do by God. They repent and they believe. Jonah is called to repent and believe again and again and again, and he refuses. And God says, even the cattle are repenting more than you are, Jonah. Even the cattle are getting saved more easily than you. What happens after this? Question is asked. That's left for you to decide in the book of Jonah. Are the people of Nineveh more important? Is that evil neighbor more important? Or this thing that I've got going on in my life? Is the God of the universe and His Son our Savior who, as we read in Colossians together this morning, that holds all things together and all things are under His authority? Is He just your personal Jesus? Your little tribal God that you carry around in your heart? Or is He the Savior of the universe that takes away the sins of the world. The question is left with, who is Jesus to you? The book of Jonah would lead us to believe this. Salvation does not belong to you or to me. Salvation is ours in Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord and is yours in Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.